Well, we'll start in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And notice, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so, we have the command here to go and make disciples. Uh, my professor in college would say this could be better translated as win disciples, okay, to Christ. We're winning disciples to Christ. Now, as we think about discipleship, we have this idea in our mind, and it's good and right, of apprenticeship, of following after somebody, right? So, what that says about the Christian life in general is that we, as born-again believers, we should always be in the stance of we need to learn something, right? That's what example, but it's much like a, a journeyman or somebody that's an apprentice for a trade worker, right? They enter into that knowing that they need to learn a lot and they follow somebody. Now, we know that we obviously are following Jesus Christ, right? What, what text can we, can we sh- show that from, even though that's probably obvious? We're following after Jesus Christ primarily. Yes. We, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus comes by the Sea of Galilee. He sees Peter and he says, follow me, right? He passes by Matthew in the tax booth in Matthew chapter 9 and says, follow me. Learn from me, right? He's called rabbi by his disciples because he is the primary teacher of his disciples, And even today as Christians, we are disciples primarily of Jesus Christ, and we are disciples of him through the word of God, right? We read the word of God, and we try to conform ourselves to the word of God in everything. And so the first thing that we ought to know about discipleship is that all of us should call ourselves disciples, those who need to be conformed into an image that we have not attained to as of yet, Right? And part of that means we follow after Christ submitting to his word. Right? If we don't submit to the word of God, we can in no way claim to be disciples of Christ because we set ourselves above any kind of standard. And in fact, we're the master and something else needs to be my disciple. Right? The man who trusts in his own mind is what? A fool. A fool. So I want us to first recognize, and I think the important thing for us today is that Christian discipleship entails a humility where every man is is slow to speak, right? Slow to wrath, but discipleship is not just between the individual and Jesus Christ. Although that's the ultimate goal and the ultimate outcome, Jesus has ordained means by which we are discipled in the church, right? He, he mediates our discipleship to him through other means. What do we see in Matthew 28? Is the means that Jesus uses that we would be discipled into his image. Baptism. We enter into baptism. It's a confession of faith, and it's 
seeing that we're washed from our sins in order to live a new life. That's certainly true. The disciples are to go. Yes, absolutely. And I would say primarily in this text, even though disciples is true, the apostolic witness. If we're to take one step downward, right, in the discipleship ladder, if you want to call it, that we are disciples of Jesus Christ, but we are apostolic disciples, right? Meaning that all that the apostles and the prophets wrote in the Old and New Testaments, again, it's the Word of God, but we submit not only to the Word of Christ, although that's true, but the apostolic teaching an example. And we see this very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> I'm just going to read one verse, and you probably know it very well. Paul, writing to this church, says, be imitators of me, as I am of Christ, right? So we see in God's goodness, there's not an unmediated relationship in normal circumstances between us and Christ and being discipled. But God in his wisdom has given us first the apostolic example that we would imitate Paul as he imitates Christ. And that's seen in his letters, but how, how else would this church have understood imitation of Paul? Not just his written word, probably. You can say it out loud if you want to. His life, yeah. Being an example to them. Right? Um, how Paul conducted himself in ministry, right? And he points to this on a number of occasions. In Acts chapter 20, we might have the premier, premier example of Paul pointing to himself and what he has done as an example to be followed after. Um, notice in verse 18 of chapter 20. And they came to him, that is the elders of Ephesus, and he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with the tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment is going to work through those means primarily in order to grow us in the, into the stature of Jesus Christ. And the first question that I have is, with this kind of third step of the teaching offices of the church, what's the attitude that we should all have, and I really mean that, all of us, even elders and deacons in the church, we are, I am submissive, I, at least I hope I am, to Brother Joey in his correction, in his teaching. He is my elder, and I am Brother Joey's elder. Nobody is above eldership in the teaching ministry of the church. What, what text would tell us the attitude and the place that we ought to look to have Underneath the elders of the church. Hebrews 13. There you go, brother. You guys are more quiet. An openness to being persuaded by our elders. That doesn't mean that you're always going to be persuaded. Me and Joey would, uh, we're doing a terrible job 
if the goal is that we would all be persuaded by everything that me and Joey think that every biblical text says and every doctrine that we even hold to. But we hold that there's a, a sweet submissiveness that is commanded in the scripture towards the eldership of the church that we would we'd grow into that, right? And that might take time and all that, but I think that the primary thing commanded of us here is an attitude rather than uniformity or conformity even in that way, okay? <coughs> and with the example that the elders are supposed to live, um, I would turn to just to 1 Peter chapter 5 as well. 1 Peter chapter 5. So we've already seen it, that the, the congregation, this Hebrew congregation, is commanded to imitate. But here we have the command going to the elders. In verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering. So notice that contrast, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock, right? So the the elder is not to be a domineering man, forcing his opinion and his rules upon everybody else, but rather he is to live the Christian life in such a way as to invite that they would live as an example to that, okay? So, yes, Mm. Yeah, 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 yes. 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 Yeah, a- absolutely. Um, yeah, when you're, and that's a that's a good uh, illustration, I think. So when we read in the Proverbs that, you know, there's safety. In many counselors, right? You go to a counselor not like Rehoboam, right? That goes to the old men, and they give him good counsel, but he's just like, well, I'm not going to do that, right? That's not the attitude that we're going to have, because we're really not going for counsel, right? We're going to try to find somebody to rubber stamp the things that we actually believe, and that's often what we experience in the church, isn't it? You know, people are going church shopping around, and instead of having a spirit of, I need to be taught and brought up, and there's a lot of bad churches, I know that, but really, the idea is the opposite of discipleship. It's, I'm the master, and I need somebody to rubber stamp what I, what I believe to be the case, to be true, okay? And we need to be careful of that tendency. We need to be Bereans. We need to test everything, but we need to, we need to have this spirit as well, um, especially if you have come in membership and submitted to the authority of the church in a formal way is certainly a, even a higher expectation of that. Um, and so I think that we've, we've kind of outlined some of the more obvious points of discipleship. But I do want us to see that the New Testament, I think, places more emphasis on discipleship happening through the teaching ministry of the church than we often give it credit for, Right? We don't have a high view and a high regard of the common means of grace of just the word being preached Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, whatever it might be, as being being the primary formation of our spiritual lives. But I think that that's what the Bible calls us to see. 
Um, but then, discipleship does happen member to member in the local congregation. That's the last step that I want us to see here. How does discipleship happen member to member? Or even beyond that? Amen. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're, we're open to hearing one another out, right? We're open to talking to one another about certain things. And again, inviting one another into our homes. Again, the command for hospitality, it has this twofold dimension. We do talk about Scripture, hopefully, right? But there's an imitation going on there. We're imitating one another's lives. Um, can we think of any Bible passages that talk about the discipleship? that goes on member to member in the local church. Person to person, yeah. Titus, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, you're close, you're in the T's. You're almost there, Titus, yeah. Titus chapter 2 is probably the clearest example of this. And what we notice here is that there's supposed to be, again, a heart-level respect, not just for the elders of the church, not just for the deacons, but for people in different, um, different areas of life, right? This is something that is almost totally lost to our culture, and I would think even totally subverted in our culture, that we think that the young people, that they somehow have a clean slate and they're able to interpret things perfectly because they, they don't have experience. But the Bible doesn't speak that way. Um, in fact, it speaks the exact opposite. Notice, <coughs> excuse me. Talking to Titus, not quite an elder, but one looking for elders and basically an elder. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men, and that's a heading, right? Teach what accords with sound doctrine. This is sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. So one of the things, how this discipleship trickles down to the church is that the elder is to command older men to have certain mature qualities about them, right? We see that they have to be sound in faith. Now, that probably means that they're supposed to know the, the basic doctrines of Christianity and know their Bibles, right? But they're also to be an example. And I hope we're getting the idea there's this twofold nature of teaching and example being given. Um, that they're dignified, self-controlled, in love and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and so train their young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. That the word of God may not be reviled. Okay? So, I want us to notice how the discipleship of the elders in the church teaching how this somehow goes along with the, the life-to-life ministry of the congregation. That if the congregation is living in such a way as a bad example to the rest of the world and to the church, that in effect the word of God is being reviled. Does that make sense? We continue. This is my, my favorite verse because... The young men are only given one verse, okay? But I think it's because we all know what young men need. 
Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled, okay? You need to focus on one thing with these, uh, these dumb beasts. I only say that because I'm a, a younger man myself, okay? That we need self-control. Um, show yourself, the elder, in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may not be put... Uh, so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Um, so we see that in our families and in our church, as we invite people into our house, they were commanded to, to know Scripture and to discipleship one, to have discipleship with one another. But it's not only this idea that I think we often have of we're sitting down with a workbook of systematic theology or something, and we're going through it with somebody, having them fill out answers, and we're talking about those things. That can be good. But discipleship happens in the everyday life of the church where we're gathering together and and living out the Christian faith, okay? The idea is that we, as disciples, need to teach and to be taught. Yes, brother. And that's the next? Amen, brother. Amen, Pastor Joey. Uh, that's a really good point, and I think that something that's come to my mind over and over as we've gone through this ter- church series is when we read any command in Scripture that's commanded to all Christians especially, we should be asking ourselves, am I even putting myself in the context to be able to obey that command, right? People that refuse to come to church, for instance, they're putting themselves outside of the context of even being able to obey the command to be unified, for example, right? And the same thing here. If we're refusing to live together with one another, right? Refusing to be together with one another in order to live as a good example, we have to ask ourselves, are we even putting ourselves in the context to be obedient to Scripture, right? Very good point. So, are there any other passages that we can think of of the discipleship that we have in the congregation. Brother. Yes, yes, amen. Yeah, we are able to instruct one another. And we've gone there many times, but if you want to just see that with your eyes, because we're going to be going there probably primarily next week. I'm not even sure who is going to be doing that, but somebody will, I promise. Um, Romans 14, you know, this is a really key text where Paul says to this congregation of Christians that he has never met face to face. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, <laughs> he's a little modest here, I think, but that's okay. I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God, right? Um, we're able to instruct one another, so that's true. Any other text, brother? Mm. Mm-hmm. Amen. 
Oh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right, brother. And again, this is this, this command in Scripture that Brother Joey went through, that we are commanded in Scripture to know the Word of God, that we can, again, put ourselves in the context of being able to do these things. Okay? Um, I'm going to turn us to a couple passages here. First, Philippians chapter 3 talks about this dynamic of discipleship in the church. <coughs> Excuse me. Philippians 3. And again, we see this step from apostolic to leaders in the church, at least here. Um, In verse 17, Paul writes, Brothers, join in imitating me, and notice, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Okay? So, the Apostle Paul is saying here, as you live together closely and you recognize that there are some people that, that, are, that are walking, it seems, in a way very consistent with the Word of God and the apostolic example there, right? What are we commanded to do? Yeah, mark and imitate, right? We're to mark those people out in our minds, right? We're to follow them, right? Not, not as usual, uh, maybe not usual, that's not fair. Not looking for something to pick at in their lives, right? But rather looking to imitate how they live their lives, right? And again, this is a, this is a humble spirit that can do this. A, a proud spirit cannot do this and refuses to do it. Because everybody ought to look at me for an example, it says, right? Um, and the reason for this is given in verse 18. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I believe that Paul's saying within your churches, within the Philippian church, there are many who are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ here, right? So you need to set your eyes on the good example that you might know how to imitate them because there's destructive elements that are seeking to, to put you on bad path. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. Their glory is in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Okay. Can we think of any other texts, Brother? Amen, brother. What's the reference for that? 37, 37. Double 37s. That's a good pneumatic device. Pneumatic and mnemonic. Okay, anyway. I have first Thessalonians. Yes, please. Yes. Idols, they served the God and waited for his son, was the witness, the example that was 
set forth for the surrounding districts, you can see the examples passed down from yes. Yeah, it's a very clear pattern once you, once you recognize it, isn't it? Um, anything else that comes to mind for a discipleship of one another in the church? Brother. Uh-huh, yes. Amen. Amen. Yeah, that's good. It's very helpful. Yeah, amen. With our time, I'm going to take us to two passages. Again to Philippians. Um, and I want us to see that the apostle is not only concerned with commanding us to imitate him, imitate Christ, and to imitate one another, but Paul is not ashamed, just as we saw a couple weeks ago, he wasn't ashamed to call out two women who were fighting in the church to say, be unified. He's not ashamed to call out good examples in the church either. Um, Philippians. Notice in verses 19 through 30 that Paul gives two examples. Now, in the context, Paul, the kind of climax that we have here is in verse 3 that he's telling them not to do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, (coughs) but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves, right? Now, notice that he gives two examples of men who are doing that. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him to you just as soon as I see how it will go with me. So, I'm going to send you Timothy, and the one thing you need to know about Timothy is he is a man to be imitated. He has concern for you and not just concern for himself. And then, Epaphroditus, in verse 25, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been stressed because of you, because you heard, rather, that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him, and that I may be less anxious. Notice, so receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So, It's not beyond Paul to point out members of the congregation and say, this man has served the Lord well, and I think the implication is clear. You ought to imitate such men 
The last text I'll have us turn to is Romans 16. These are texts that we read through, we read by, we might even skip over because we don't think that there's really any good theological meat or doctrine in it. But I think when we have in our mind this idea of discipleship within the church and marking out those and imitating them, we can read this with new eyes. I'm just going to read verses 1 through 16. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Centray, that you may welcome her in the Lord as a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need of you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only will I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles as well. Greet also the church in her house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who, for, who was the first convert in Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Adronicus, Junia, my kinsmen, my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and were in Christ before me. Greet Ampelitus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, my fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apollos, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trypha and Tryphosa. Greet beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nerus, his sister, Olympus, and the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. And I think what we have here is we have a greeting of Paul and a command to greet, but also he puts in there a lot of great qualifications and godly qualifications that these brothers and sisters have. And I think that we should have the same impulse in our heart, okay, to build one another up, to honor one another, even in one another's sight. When we're talking about a brother and sister in the church, to try to point out their qualities worthy of imitation to one another, okay? That we would disciple one another under the elders of the church, under the apostolic example, and primarily and ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ. Do we have any thoughts or questions? Okay, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we come before you. I thank you for your word. I I thank you for discipleship, and uh, I know in my life, Lord, I would be I don't know where I would be, God, without the church of Jesus Christ, both in the teaching ministry and and just brothers and sisters, uh, worthy of imitation, teaching me the word of God and how to live the Christian life consistently. Lord, I I pray that you you would bless us today and that your name would be glorified in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.